I'm Anthony Davis. Welcome to the first in a new series from Midas Touch and 5-Minute News, which we call The Weekend Show. I created 5-Minute News as a daily podcast back in 2019, having lived in the US for a couple of years and realizing that despite the dozens of news and opinion networks, there didn't seem to be a singular trusted, unbiased voice, like Walter Cronkite of old, that could cut through all of the noise. And where I'm from in London, England, and where I forged my career as a journalist, the news is regulated by an independent government department. So it has to be impartial, it has to be true, and it can't be partisan, it can't be too opinionated, uh, or the network can be fined or even lose its license. It's not like that here in America. And so an entire generation has grown up thinking that all news is politically biased. And when a certain former president claims that journalists are the enemy of the people, you have the beginnings of fascist propaganda, which can really create division in a country. And so 5-Minute News was born. And I hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, thanks to the Midas Media Network, we bring you The Weekend Show, where we look back through the week at the most important stories delivered in 5-Minute News. And every Sunday morning, with some very special guests, we'll spend half an hour digging deeper into the facts, but also analysing how the media has chosen to characterise these stories that have made the headlines both here in the US and around the world. Back on Monday the 7th of February, the New York Times reported that Donald Trump had improperly taken top-secret documents from the White House. So uh, they didn't use the word stolen. He improperly took them. So we'll look at that story. Uh, Also, on the 9th of uh, February, that was Wednesday, we reported that the US-Canada border crossing was blocked by the protest, um, which is continuing uh, right at the moment. And just on Friday, Russia holding military drills in Belarus as talks continued. And of course, now we know that that has escalated even further. So joining me today for our very first episode are two brothers who have taken their pro-democracy movement, Midas Touch, to a whole new level of activism. Uh, Ben and Brett Micellus, welcome to The Weekend Show. Nice to see you. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate you having us on the show. Congratulations on this new format. I think the world needs your voice. I think the five-minute news format is fantastic, but I am just so excited for you to really be able to dig into these subjects every single week with some really deep analysis and really just get in there. So it's, it's great to be here. Well, thank you. And, you know, we have something in common, which is that we are both pro-democracy. And I think it's possible to be pro-democracy without being, or it, sh- it should be possible to be pro-democracy and not be politically biased. Do you make sense of that? It's like, is, are they mutually exclusive? No, I make complete sense of that. You know, our movement at the end of the day is a pro-democracy movement. I mean, we happen to be from the Democratic Party, Big D, but whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you should support small d democracy. The reason that I'm currently a Democrat, it's the only major political party that supports the truth and that supports democracy right now here and abroad. Let's um, go into our first story. Uh, It's a very serious story. It was the news on Friday that the White House said that a Russian invasion of Ukraine could come within the week, possibly within the next couple of days, they said, uh, even before the end of the Winter Olympics, and has urged all Americans to leave the country. Uh, The message marked a sharp escalation in U.S. warnings about uh, um, possible impending military action. 
Now, if you look at the way that uh, this is being reported, uh, certainly the day it broke on Friday, uh, the cable news channels went crazy. It was almost as if they were really excited that there was going to be a war. Um, on 5-Minute News, we don't do it like that. We, we position the facts. Uh, you've also got the right-wing media saying that this would never have happened under Donald Trump. So where are we at with this? I mean, is this a political story? Is this one that if there was a different administration in the US, then this wouldn't be happening right now? Ben? It's not a political story. This is a story about global security. And global security under the Trump administration was severely eroded. I don't think that's a political opinion. At the end of the day, the alliances that Donald Trump made was with Russia, North Korea, at the expense of NATO and our allies. He chose to extort the Ukrainian president and the Ukrainian leadership um, when, in fact, he should have been supporting you know, our allies abroad. And so now what we're seeing is the erosion of national and global security that that Trump has caused. Um, Secretary of State Blinken, you know, did report this week that he believes an invasion appears to be, you know, imminent. But what I'm happy about right now, if there's anything silver lining in the story, is we we at least have professionals in the room who are having the types of conversations that we would expect. There are um, adult, robust national security conversations taking place with carrots and sticks as we would imagine that these types of negotiations should be taking place in the past and as they should now, but under Trump was not taking place. And Brett, we need to remind ourselves that this is not an American war, potentially. This is a NATO war, right? This is, this is allied forces against Russia and China. Exactly. Yeah, this is I mean, this is a global issue. And I think too often you see Republicans and, you know, people on that side try to turn this into like this is the Democrats fault or or something to that extent when this is a, you know, ongoing issue between Ukraine and Russia. And I think one of the sad things that we're seeing, speaking of pro-democracy and, you know, being unbiased and whatnot, is it used to be that when we had common enemies and allies. It used to be we were all in agreement of who those enemies were and who our allies were. When we were fighting the Nazis, there wasn't a TV network and a political party being like, oh, you know what, they've got some good ideas, those guys, though. Should we really be getting involved like this? Should we really be on the side of the allies here? But now we have this whole media infrastructure, unfortunately, that is just completely backing Russia. And I've never really seen that sort of level of... You know, I don't want to use too extreme of a terminology, but I just think it's really anti-American to be rooting for our enemies instead of figuring out what the problem is, which is Russian aggression, and how do we fix that problem and how do we help our allies. It's like we can't even be united behind the idea that Russia are the bad guys here. And if we could at least be united by that idea, then we could come together and figure out, hey, I think this is the right decision. I think that's the right decision. But we cannot even agree on the problem. And I think that is the problem. And this is something that's been per perpetuated by Tucker Carlson at Fox. I can't call them Fox News anymore because it's very much an opinion and propaganda channel. But unfortunately, they are the most, oh, that's the most watched show on the most watched news channel. So what hope does Biden stand? Because 
you know, arguably, I have a problem with Joe Biden's lack of messaging. You know, it just he doesn't say enough, doesn't talk enough, doesn't get up and deal with problems as they arise. And and waiting three or four months and then doing a two hour press conference is I don't personally think the way to handle these types of things. But that's just my personal opinion. My professional opinion is that it's almost as if the right wing media have created a whole new narrative, like a, an alternative reality. And it's an alternative reality that is supporting a new type of world power dynamic. In the power dynamic of the Fox News, America as a diverse nation, as a democratic nation, um, that's not what they want to see. What they want to see is a nation that's predominantly or almost entirely white, like a Russia, with a strongman authoritarian leader in a Putin, and the Fox Newses of the world, the Murdoch, who's not, he has an American citizenship, but he came from Australia into the UK and then America, really trying to destroy and erode the various places where he landed and finding a helpful landing ground in the divisiveness of American politics to really kind of root his his branches to 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 expose the divisions, um, you know, in our country. But they see America as a satellite country to a Russia. And that we're no different than a Hungary, you know, and that we are second fiddle to a Russia. And now Russia and Vladimir Putin has said their goal is to destroy America. Like their goal, their sworn goal is to defeat American democracy. So when people like Tucker Carlson say, well, how do you know, like, what's the difference? Well, they're trying to destroy us. Like, that's literally what their goal is. And and war these days is, you know, like even a civil war, if that ever happened, it's it's not like it used to be with muskets. A civil war is kind of almost underway. You know, the country is so divided. It's a war of information. It's a, it's effectively a cold war. But but what I what I really want to get into with this is this alternative reality, because it's it's very important and it's something that is consuming us in, on all subjects. And we're going to talk about the Canadian border shortly. But Ben, you talk about this whiteness, this ideal of of the Republican Party, which seems to have embraced, you know, that old patriotic thing of the flag, which has given way to nationalism, which has in some cases given way to Nazism. When you look at the Carl Rittenhouse story or you look at the Nazi protest that took place in Florida that Ron DeSantis refused to condemn. What we're looking at now is, you know, make America white again. I mean, is that fundamentally what all of these groups, extreme groups, far-right groups, and the traditional Republican group, they've all f come together. Is it under that banner? It's absolutely under that banner. Now, they talk around it like it's not. They try to use this great symbolism of our country, the flag, um, the star-spangled banner. Um, but at the end of the day, what this really is about is that they see under a free and fair election, there will be diverse representation in our country. And that makes them, the Republicans, incredibly fearful of that diverse representation. And so what you're seeing is, now they always had this instinct that, that felt um, subtly racist and, and in many ways was, but now they've kind of full-fledged have leaned into 
an apartheid type of state is what they want to create. They want to change the laws and change the rules, ignore the laws, but change it to really create um, a uh, rule by uh, by people who aren't elected, by a small group of white billionaires um, you know, who control the corporations and who control the government through the machinations of what they're doing with elections and how they're trying to you know, prevent free and fair and open elections in, in diverse states. And, and that's a problem. But that's why they look to Putin. That's why they look to um, Hungary, you know, and leaders who are authoritarian. That's that's who they want to be friends with. Which is why Trump sided with Putin when he was asked that question on the on the podium. Do you remember? And they said, you know, did you ask Mr. Putin whether he meddled in the election? And this is that was like a day after the the FBI had come forward and said, you know, we've got all the evidence. They did. And he said, well, you know, I asked him and he said he didn't. Who am I supposed to believe, the security services or the guy standing next to me? And that was a, mo- a line in the sand, I guess. Brett, do you think it all changed with Trump? Like, is he the linchpin here or does this kind of racist history, does it, does it actually start long before Donald Trump took office? I think it starts far beyond Trump. I think just Trump exposed it in a way that was just so obvious, just so in your face about it. But I think this started long, long, long before Trump. And I think it's been in the DNA of America. On the one hand, we have an America that says, we don't care where you're from. We don't care what your religion is. We don't care how you think. Come here. America is the place for you. We are the melting pot. We are the shining city on the hill. That's one bucket. And then you have another bucket that sees their, let's face it, white supremacy slipping away because they see these groups coming into America and they feel their their power being diminished. And I think it's accelerated at an exceptional rate over the past few years for a few reasons. One, I think technology started that acceleration. I think technology, the internet, the ability for people to be in these private groups and, you know, as, as we've seen with like the movie Social Dilemma with these algorithms where they're pulled into these extremist wings, I think the internet has really radicalized people when I think a lot of people hoped, oh man, we have this system now of information and all this information is going to be out here. So society is going to be a utopia because all this information is out here. But it kind of is the opposite. You know, I, if, if you say, has the internet been good for society or bad for society? I honestly don't know where I would fall on that side you know, with that question. I don't know where I would land with that question. Well, so it, think- it enabled Al-Qaeda to, to form a group, didn't it? In the, yeah. But in the same way, it's also enabled Antifa to form a, a, an unofficial group. And by Antifa, which of course doesn't exist, it was a, a phrase created by the Trump administration and they designated it a terrorist organization. And I think the reason they did that was because Antifa sounds a bit like Al-Qaeda and therefore it kind of puts people, I'm an anti-fascist, you guys are obviously anti-fascist, I would hope that we are all anti-fascist. It just seems to me that it was the fascist that designated Antifa an organization. Let, let's move on to Canada now, because Canada and this blockade, which is going to kind of, is already spreading its way into the United States. And this is a bigger subject about freedom. But on Friday, the authorities in Canada turned up the legal and public pressure on protesters to lift their blockades uh, at the US border. Uh, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau warned this unlawful activity has to end and it will end. 
Um, federal, provincial, local officials moved simultaneously on different fronts to break the standoff, which began with truckers and other angries uh, over the country's COVID-19 restrictions. And it's morphed now into a broader attack from the right on Trudeau and his liberal government, cheered on by conservatives in the US. And now it's being encouraged by conservative groups to do blockades and similar protests in the US. And some are criticizing that that actually could be a way to bring Biden's economy to a standstill. So let's just look at this argument of, of freedom. Ben, is it possible during a worldwide pandemic to claim that your freedom, your individual freedom and liberty is more important than the collective need to protect ourselves from a virus? Well, the individual freedom has nothing to do with getting vaccinated in the sense of a, a global pandemic. Um, the simple gesture of being responsible as a human being for your surroundings. I mean, you're totally free if you want to kind of stay inside your house, if you want to stay away from people. I mean, you're free to do all of that. But what you're not free to do, though, is to infect me and other people with your deadly virus and try to, you know, and try to kill me. The fact that what they're, you know, and it's more than just a protest because one of their avowed missions is actually to overthrow the government of Canada is what a lot of these, the, the truckers behind this has said. So just simply calling it a protest is, is you know, I, I think understating it. It's also not a peaceful protest because it's literally kind of a form of terrorism. It's 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 a, almost a form of war that's being declared on two economies by trying to literally stop trade um, during a pivotal time in, in, in our nations and in the global economy. I also do not, we talked about what's going on in Ukraine, you know, and I don't believe in coincidences as well, because you have people like Mike Flynn, who's also arranging these similar types of protests in NATO countries across the world you know, and trying to really harm and make our economies vulnerable at this specific moment. And so I don't even buy the concept that this is like an actual, you know, protest. I mean, these are individuals, a very small number of individual trucks are big, but a small group of people, you know, who want to wreak havoc on the American economy, on the Canadian economy, on the global economy, because they don't want a vaccine because they're they don't they want to get other people infected i mean that's what's truly sick is their behavior and meanwhile like let, let's remember remember too this is a very small minority of people i mean if you actually look at truckers as a whole you know i don't even know if all these people out there protesting quote unquote are truckers but if you look at truckers as a whole in canada i think upwards of 90 percent of the truckers are actually vaccinated so this is a very small minority of those people and if their whole concept behind this is theoretically, listen, we are upset at these mandates because these mandates are hurting our economy. They're making it difficult for us to go to work, for our kids to go to school. Their solution to that is to destroy the entire economy so that people can't get goods and can't go to work and can't go to school. It doesn't really add up. So, the, I mean, the only thing that I could think is what Ben said, that this is more about destabilizing economies, 
destabilizing countries, and that's why you see bad actors like Mike Flynn so heavily involved in this, and that's why you see the right in America standing behind this, because they want to see instability in the world. They want to see instability in the American economy and in the global economy, because at the end of the day, it makes Joe Biden look bad if prices start going up because people can't get goods, if the supply chain's constrained. Like, they are actually trying to force all this. But they don't realize. I mean, I think it's very important. I agree with you about Mike Flynn. I agree with you about people who are, you know, leaders. I mean, look at Putin. He's been able to sit back for the last few years and just laugh. You know, he's rubbing his hands together and laughing because all of the work is being done for him. You know, all of the division in America, it's exactly what he was hoping for. And so now we're in a situation where it's almost like protesters are sabotaging themselves, aren't they? Because the message about freedom and I want to be free and I don't want to be told all it is it's not really about masks it's not really about vaccines it's about a general distrust of government it's about a not wanting to be told what to do by the authorities so when when did that start like when did we become so anarchic when when, when did was it was it again was it Trump being like the funny guy and because there's a funny guy therefore like he's not taking the world seriously and therefore the world isn't serious anymore I mean at what point was it did it become okay to just forge your own path well it's never been okay but from the beginning of mankind uh strong mostly strong men uh, probably in all cases, strong men were the ones, as opposed to strong women, because that's usually not the case of what we see what happens, um, were able to exploit vulnerable populations, pollute their minds, radicalize them, and create outcomes that are not actually in the interest of the person radicalized. I mean, if you look in you know, places like the Middle East, where you would have suicide bombers um, you know, in Iraq and in Afghanistan... I mean, these are individuals who were told all of these lies, who were poisoned at a very young age with with misinformation and lies to the point where they were willing to kill themselves because they believed that they were then going to have sex with virgins in the afterlife and that they were going to become heroes by by blowing themselves up. Now, you see a, a, a type, a form of, not identical, but a species of the radicalization where a lot of the people are so angry. They've watched the Fox News. They've watched the echo chamber. Fox, I shouldn't even call it news, but they watch the echo chamber and they're so polluted that when they're told go by some of these bad actors, they do it. And they don't, they haven't even reflected on what they're doing or why they're doing it. Which is what happened on January 6th, effectively. All of those supporters of Trump, all of those people who were causing criminal damage and then, and then, you know, well, went way beyond criminal damage. We shouldn't even call it that because this was, you know, this was a line in the sand politically, wasn't it? But they all said, he told us to do it. Our president told us to do it. And so they were just carrying out orders. And, and that's kind of how I feel about the situation at the Canadian border. It's like, I think people are doing it because... They think they should be doing it, or maybe they're being told via social media that they should be doing it. But what will it achieve fundamentally, and and will it get them any closer to that perceived freedom that they crave? Um, I, I mean, no, at the end of the day, no. I mean, I think 
things aren't going to happen because of this protest. I don't think there'll be any changes because of these protests. I think just people might be arrested because of these protests <laughs> and more people's lives will be ruined as a result of it, like what happened with January 6th. I mean, we have laws in our countries. Um, there are laws in Canada. Canada is one of the most highly vaccinated countries in the world. This really isn't an issue for Canada. There aren't even those mandates in place, I, I don't believe, in America for truckers. Um, so there's really no excuse for it other than to cause chaos. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. And Trudeau is a liberal, and therefore this is a way to kind of stick it to Trudeau. Exactly. It's interesting. And, and maybe that's going to be the pattern going forward with governments, because this is happening all around the world, isn't it? I mean, this, this kind of attitude that, um, you know, the, this kind of right wing movement. We, let, let's just talk for a second about, you know, in schools and like masking in schools and some schools are pulling it out and some schools are keeping it and CDC is not sure what it's doing. It, it is messaging generally the issue here. I mean, do you think that the authorities could have thought just as much about the messaging as the science because of course the there are a lot of people that blame dr anthony fauci for this entire pandemic they say that it's a it's a bioweapon the vaccine's a bioweapon that fauci created it that they're trying to control populations so you know it was unfortunate that the pandemic started the same year as an election because donald trump announced he said the coronavirus it's the democrats new hoax is that where this started or if it wasn't an election year do you think there would have been as much division about this freedom and liberty associated with not being told what to do i think as long as donald trump was in office election year or not election year, I think it would have been a divisive issue. I think COVID is something that we haven't seen in maybe a, a hundred years. A deadly pandemic like this is something of the likes we have ha just haven't seen and we haven't dealt with. And now we're dealing with it, like I said earlier, in the internet age. And I think COVID really broke a lot of people's brains in a lot of ways. And one of the issues with messaging, one of the hard things about messaging, honestly, it's that when you have something that's the novel coronavirus, which is something new that we're just studying, Things change. And what ends up happening is as we're discovering new things about this disease, guidelines will shift. So at first we were told, you know what, let's hold back on masks because we need to make sure that there are enough masks for medical professionals. So now what you see are people on the right going back and say, hey, they told you not to get the masks back then, but there was a stated reason why people were told not to get the masks back then. So what they'll take is they'll take any inconsistencies like that, which are often just based on what are the facts we have at the time, what are our supply chain issues that we have currently, and they'll take those to try to say, oh, look at these hypocrites. They said this one day and this the next day, when the fact is things are constantly changing. When things surge, we saw a lot of more mandates go back into effect. We saw masking come back, and that's because we got all these variants that were highly contagious, highly deadly. Now those variants are coming back down, so people are starting to loosen their requirements. But did and the so authorities explain that? Did the authorities say, you need to understand that this is a virus that we started, we don't know what it was, we were all rubbing down our Amazon packages because we were worried we were going to catch it you know, through, on our hands. And as the data is gathered and the virus ebbs and flows, then we also have to react differently. I mean... Can you blame people for not knowing how to behave and react during a once-in-a-century event? De definitely can't blame people. And, you know, I was certainly one of the people out there who was wiping down all my Amazon packages and wiping down everything from the supermarket. Like, I can't blame people for 
doing the wrong thing. I can't even blame people in the beginning for maybe wearing their mask wrong or not understanding all the rules. The thing is, you know, could the messaging be better? Of course, like messaging could always be better. It could always be clearer. We're dealing with, you know, a, a large bureaucracy with a lot of different voices. And sure, it, it could be better. If it was pitch perfect, absolutely 100% buttoned up, everybody on the same page delivering one clear message, do I think it would really make a big of a difference? Personally, I don't think so because I think the same people are trying to target and tear down anything that happens. I mean, just the fact alone that Dr. Fauci, who has been working with the United States government in disease prevention for decades, who led our fight against AIDS, who work for Republicans and Democrats alike, the fact that this man is the man who they compare to Hitler, a man who they say is the devil, is the cause of the coronavirus. I mean, that just shows you that no matter how good the messaging is, they will come up with their own conspiracy theories about it, and they will, on their own, purposely muddy the waters just to cause division and just for politics. And the thing that Republicans did very effectively, and it's incredibly cynical, was they, from the beginning, looked at COVID and said, we are going to play politics with this issue. How could we take this issue, this deadly pandemic, and try to shift the political winds in our favor? And they're still doing it. So at the time, you had Donald Trump denying it. That was their strategy. Oh, it's not a big deal. Go about your lives. Live your lives. The fact is, this was the one thing that he couldn't BS himself through. Trump could always declare, we have the best economy, the best this, I'm the best looking, I have the best buildings. And you could say subjective things like that anytime you want. But when there's a deadly disease that is killing people, you can't lie your way out of it. So now you see the new thing with the right is, you know, it's all unmask our kids and the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates and this and that. A lot of things that aren't even in place. There aren't even a lot of vaccine mandates even around right now. Like there's no, they try to yeah, act you, like when all you the dig into them, lockdown. There's no <laughs> truth. There's no truth to a lot of this stuff. And I think yeah. that's what's happening at the Canadian border. If you dig into the argument there's actually not an argument to be had. But it's almost as if this alternative reality is, it's, it's momentum, it's snowball. Somebody sees something or posts their opinion on Facebook, that story gets amplified, it gets picked up by the media, the media run it and it becomes an actual story. And before you know it, then it's being replicated in the US. And then we start to see protests here as well over something that when it started was actually just one person's opinion. Um, Ben, finally, I'm very keen to ask you your thoughts on this story about the uh, committee that's now investigating Trump's handling of the White House records. This is after 15 boxes of top secret documents uh, were uh, transferred from his Florida resort to a federal agency, uh, including whether the material included classified information um, they announced on Thursday. So this is obviously um, Trump moving out of the White House and taking whatever he wanted uh, a few trinkets you can understand. But, I mean, how serious is this? And legally, you're a lawyer. I mean, is this the thing that might get Donald Trump indicted? Well, it's incredibly serious. And so there's a few things going on. There's one, him removing these documents, classified documents, and bringing them to Mar-a-Lago. Two, there's him shredding documents, you know, and there's been some reports, you know, and not being facetious here, that he would take documents, he would eat them, he would throw the documents and shred them and put them in the toilet bowl. And then the third is that there appear to be missing call log records 
um, of critical conversations that the Jan 6 committee knows because they have the records from people who Trump communicated with. So they have records showing that these calls were going to the White House, but the White House records are not reflecting that these conversations are taking place. And so this is a classic example of obstruction. And so on the one hand, the question's a bit nuanced when it comes to classified documents because a president has the ability to declassify documents. And sometimes the issue about whether a document's classified or not is determined by the president. And so he can make the claim that's a political issue. These were not actually classified documents. I had the right to bring them. But where it becomes a significant issue is if it's obstruction with what the January 6th committee was doing by shredding, destroying, or attempting to hide the records. Um, and I think there are serious issues there. And it should also just raise a red flag to everybody that if you were not engaged in unlawful or untoward conduct, why are you deleting, destroying, and I guess in the case of Donald Trump, eating and flushing documents? This was a story that was broken by uh, the New York Times. And there's a lot of criticism of the New York Times for withholding some of this information. Isn't that right? So, um, I mean, interestingly, Five Minute News didn't even cover this story in this last week. I think it broke on Monday or Tuesday. But the reason that we didn't cover it on Five Minute News is because it's a developing story. I mean, there isn't any at the moment. It's a lot of they said this and he said that and she said this. And until it becomes more solid, then for me and for my editorial guidelines, it's like we just can't run with it. And for me, that's the difference between opinion-based news gathering and, and, and um, publishing and sticking with the facts. So, so, Brett, do you think it's fair that, you know, arguably there was information here that should have come out sooner? Yeah, we actually, we spoke about this on the Midas Touch podcast uh, on Thursday. And no, I mean, I don't think it's right. I think, you know, one of the reasons I like 5-Minute News is because you actually have editorial guidelines that you hold yourself to a high standard. And I think if you, Anthony Davis, had information like this that you thought was crucial to the national security of the country, I think you would appropriately release it once you knew about it and vetted it and had an editor look at it and not saved it to sell a book. That's how I think you would have handled it. And that's how I would hope most journalists would handle stories like this. And I think journalists have a responsibility to deliver us the truth without holding crucial information for their book release. I just think that's simple. I think it's just opportunism at its worst if you're holding on to information that the public needs to know. Do you think it's possible? And I want to end on this because it's very personal to me. And in the same way that you felt compelled to start the Midas Touch movement because of what was happening two and a half, three years ago, and I felt compelled to make an unbiased, impartial news network because I wanted I felt that people were missing out on the facts. Is it possible as a journalist? I mean, I know it is, but I'm asking you guys, like, my personal opinion is I leave at home. And when I'm working, I go for the truth. I go for the facts. It's not possible for the news to be partisan if you are genuinely seeking the truth. Do you think that will ever happen in American news? Or do you think, you know, outside of what you guys are doing and what I'm trying to do, and there are lots of other independent journalists that are stepping up now because they recognize that these legacy networks are being less trusted. Do you think that we're going to see any change? 
I think there's always room for dis- I think there's always room for disruption. And to say that things look bad right now with respect to all of the right-wing extremist kind of propaganda networks out there saying does it always have to be that way? Well, I think it's incumbent on people who support democracy though to stop sitting on the sidelines, you know, as we just talked about even, you know, to stop hoarding news just for a book deal or 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 for profit. I mean, at the end of the day, what we have to realize is that you can't just say, hey, we want to do something, we want to fight, we need to organize. One of the problems, I think, with pro-democracy supporters, though, you know, and uh, I've heard some people who basically say, you know, the problem with Democrats, though, is that they want to have a conference call, then another conference call. I think it was James Carville because I'm doing the voice, you know, and then another conference call. Then before you know it, you got eight conference calls. And I'm just like, can we just do it already? You know, and at sometimes there is a need, though, for the first conference call. There is a need to digest the information and make sure it's accurate. But then you have to just get up and you have to do something about it, you know. And for us, one of the, uh, I hope, roadmaps of Midas Touch is that, you know, we were three brothers without any political background who are now in the space because we just said, look, we're going to do tangible things. We're going to put content out each and every day, and we're going to continue to do that. So I think there is room for disruption. We want to be instrumental in that, but we welcome anybody who wants to fight for our democracy to be instrumental in that. And let's not make it a foregone conclusion that it has to be Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity, you know, and these, you know, other individuals that look like these, dis- that they're the real PR arms from these dystopian movies, you know, that are out there. Um, you know, we could actually live in reality and we should strive for programs like this and elevating programs like this. I, I think reality is probably the most important word there, isn't it? Because there is an alternative reality. And if you're living in that world, then it's impossible to see anything else. And, and I think that that w- worries me the most is that, you know, the, the argument that we are making uh, is sometimes futile because there, there are no connections to that, to that parallel universe. So, we, you know, we, we live in hope and we do our best. Thank you, both of you, Ben and Brett. Appreciate you and uh, thank you for Midas Touch and thank you for supporting this show as well and for giving it um, a, a platform. I'm very grateful to you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything you do. Excited to see how the show develops. Thank you. My thanks to Ben and to Brett and, of course, to Midas Touch. Don't forget to subscribe to 5-Minute News, which drops in your podcast app in the early hours every morning. So it's there when you wake up and you can listen to it while you make your morning coffee. Find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Anthony Davis. And join me next Sunday morning with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on The Weekend Show with Midas Touch and 5-Minute News. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Kearns and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.